it's me, Emily, and you're listening to the Right on Track podcast. Hello there, and welcome to Right on Track, the podcast that talks about everything Thomas the Tank Engine and railways. And in this chapter, we have two fresh voices reviewing the television series. We have the culprit, it's the signalman. <laughs> it's definitely the signalman. That, that's not Percy's fault. That nah. signalman should have been told off. Mike O'Donnell joins us for a chat about his new album. See, I noticed that there was a lot of people doing the themes and putting it out on YouTube and things like that. And I thought, well, why don't I do it? Because uh, why not? And Lachlan Kyle has his own interview with another special guest. Because when I was a kid, Hornby Thomas's while they looked a little different, it was like seeing a, like a representation of Thomas or the Thomas characters that were on this realistic of like a level reminded me of the show so much that 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 thought process of like wow like this looks this looks accurate was was there. My name is Tom Parry and this is the second episode in a row I've anchored and it is a delight to be back in the role. First up today we're going to be doing our reviews of the television series only it's not going to be myself who's doing it or Connor or Denim or even Lachlan or M. It is going to be Isaac and Jay Racer. Hello everybody and welcome to the review section of the podcast, the time where we discuss series 8 of Thomas and Friends. Just before we get into the reviews, I would like to just introduce myself a little bit. My name is Isaac and I'm on the web and social design team here at Right on Track. So you guys might also be wondering why you hear this different voice this time around. Well, unfortunately, Denim was unable to make it due to last minute conflicting schedules and has asked me to quickly fill in for him. So please excuse me and bear with me if my opinions and thoughts don't sound as fully prepared and composed as some of the other reviewers on the podcast. Anyhow, we're going to push through, and I for one am very excited to be reviewing these episodes because we have yet another special guest joining us. Joining me in today's review, I have none other than Jay, or otherwise known as Jay Racer 11 Hello Jay, how are you? Hello, hello. I'm doing very well. A lot cooler today than yesterday, but I'm doing well and happy to be here. (laughs) (laughs) That's good to hear, Jay, and that's great to have you. So before we start the review, Jay, tell us about how you got into Thomas and what do you do in the fandom these days? How I got into Thomas, I can't really give specifics, just um, one day Thomas was there and it just sort of showed up. Um, Back in the day, early 2000s, I saw you, you had Nick Jr. when you sort of got a mixture of season eight, um, the earlier seasons, six and seven. So I had a, a wide range of Thomas episodes to watch. And then sort of as I got older, I just sort of fell, fell out with it. But um, back in 2018, um, I got my first game in PC and I came back to the fandom um, starting with trains content. I originally started making trains routes, um, I've been doing that sort of ever since. I currently work on um, iOS projects, so Island of Soda projects, such as um, the Soda Workshop one that's currently ongoing, and um, my fellow Aussie 
Curtis, Mr. Legerman 86's iOS, the hybrid iOS as well. Um, I do a bit more as well. Um, I do some model train, do some videos. I'm a bit, I'm a bit, a bit all over the place. <laughs> nah, that's all good. Like, it's good to sort of have your sort of, um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> range. Yeah, yeah, it's good to have that. It's good to have that, like, range, like, not just on the train side, but also, like, on other things as yeah. well. And I've also I've noticed that you're a bit of a uh, model train buff. Am I right in saying that? Yes. Um, back in last year, I got back into it, bought my first um, train set um, since I was a child, and um, I've sort of caught the bug again. I now um, model Sodor, so the railway series, so I currently um, have a Donald... Um, a Douglas Duck, um, Oliver, the little Western duo. Um, Donald's not finished yet, but Douglas is. And then I've got Percy, and I've got a few more coming. Some um, might be revealed at Audrey X. You never know. But yeah, um, I do physical models and virtual models. That's awesome. It's like you get the best of both worlds, and that's awesome. Definitely. Yeah, so should we begin to reviews then? Yes, I think we shall. Yeah. But also, oh, sorry, before we do, I wanted to ask you this question. Who is your favorite yep. engine, and what is your favorite episode? So my favorite engine, I think this is going to be a bit of an odd one, but is um, Derek for Diesel Engine, my favorite Class 17, and my favorite episode is for Fogman. That just, just the intro of the Fogman, you, you can't beat it. Oh, 100%. I love the... I love the um... Just the fogginess and the fogginess, or like just the the use of the fog effects in that episode, like it's it's, yeah. it's really mesmerizing. I feel it's a very nice episode, um, one of the best, I'd say. So I think we should get started and go into the episodes. I think we shall. So in today's installment, we'll be continuing our review of series eight with Percy's big mistake and Thomas, Emily, and the snowplow. So first up is Percy's big mistake, and in the clip we're about to show you, Percy returns to the shed after a big day and overhears the Fat Controller talking to his engine crew. Percy returned to Tidmouth Sheds. The other engines were already asleep. Then Percy heard voices on the other side of the sheds. It was the Fat Controller, and he was talking to Percy's driver. Percy tried not to listen, but he couldn't help himself. Percy has been late too often this week, said the Fat Controller. He must go to the scrapyards tomorrow. The Fat Controller wants to scrap me, gasped Percy. Percy worried all night long. So, Jay, um, can you tell us about what Percy's big mistake is about and what it entails? Well, um, Percy's a very busy engine on the island with many jobs to do. Um, perhaps too many. Um, as his workload increases, it makes him um, quite late. And one evening, he arrives at Brendam Docks, and um, the dock manager tells him that he's been, he's been late too many times. And he's going to tell the fat controller about him being late. Poor Percy arrives back to um, Tidmouth Sheds that evening, and as he uh, as he's there, he overhears the fat controller talking to his driver. Um, he can't help but listen. And um, the fat, fat controller apparently says what Percy hears is um, Percy must go to the scrapyard tomorrow, which um, frightens Percy a bit. He's a bit worried that he's going to be scrapped, and he jumps to that conclusion quite quickly because he's been late 
so many times and he really genuinely thinks he's going to be scrapped yeah that's a very good that's a very good summary and i really like this episode as well like i i like how um also i love how thomas just tries to comfort him in the when when he's um when he's when he's in trouble and he's like don't worry the fat controller's never going to scrap you and i kind of like that like thomas and percy's little dynamic it shows up again in this episode and i honestly find it like not really forced in but i kind of like it's not forced but i do think it's very sort of relevant here and i think it's really sweet i think it's really cute it's nice it's it's very well if we're talking about classic series that um thomas is nice to percy yeah i would would expect him to laugh at him but um, in this instance he um he's, he's quite nice and thoughtful which is um quite quite the change in their relationship especially in in this season yeah definitely and honestly though i i'll put this in i do think this feels like a bit of a, a bit of a i feel like one thing i'll not just about this episode but the whole of series eight it kind of feels like the characters go back and forth a little bit in terms of like how they act because like i think the episode before i think the episode that was reviewed before which was thomas to the rescue thomas sort of feels a bit a bit of a weak a bit of a like I don't know, he feels a bit babyish, like he feels, he doesn't feel like he has a, he just, he's like spineless, doesn't have a backbone or something, or he just doesn't, um, yeah, yeah he just doesn't have any, yeah. like, yeah, but over here, he kind of feels like genuine, and he feels like, like he feels, I don't know how to explain it, but he sort yeah. of feels like, like, he, like his character sort of like goes back to him being, being a nice character, sort of, not to say he was not to say yeah. he was like, nice in the original series but he definitely feels like he's he hasn't regressed he hasn't regressed to his character like he feels like he's like rightfully like a grown character in this episode definitely there is obviously with season eight going back to the basics the characters were the the characteristics and how they are have changed um a lot as i mentioned before if, if we were talking about the railway series, Thomas, he would have just laughed in Percy's face. Uh, maybe even the earlier seasons would have done the same, but this Thomas is quite... Well, he's, he's sort of the main character now, so he has to be this purring figure that um, makes sure his friends are are all right, um, especially when it comes to the, the start of the episode and then obviously at the end where he goes and finds finds him and tries to make sure he's okay with the fat controller it is quite is a bit of a personality jump yeah yeah it is a bit but honestly i do feel like this personality jump i think fits in with this in in this episode as well and kind of it's really good to see honestly it, it definitely is yeah. but on the other hand percy has a bit of a personality shift as well he goes from if we're going to season six and seven and um, the shouty very angry little gremlin to um, this sort of kid appealed child character yeah he does too he's very he's very scared he's very he's very i don't know he's a bit bit of a wimp i don't know if that's the best way to put it yeah, bit of a, but um he's very bit of a wuss bit of a, yeah he's a bit he's a bit of a wuss in this in this one um he's, he's also he's not very he's not very bright He's yeah. not. He doesn't really think. He just go. He just overhears a conversation out of context and goes right. I'm going to be scrapped and sort of panics. So even though Thomas does comfort him, Percy still thinks he's going to be scrapped, which does lead into Percy's plight to not be scrapped. So he goes to the docks to see Cranky, and he goes to the docks to collect some pipes. 
but pulls away too fast and loses the pipes on the way to the shunting yard. So, like, and, definitely, yeah. it's um, it's quite, it's quite, quite the predicament. I'm not sure how he didn't hear everything falling off his truck. Exactly. But, um, yeah. He, he, I think he's a bit too focused on not being scrapped, as uh, mentioned before. Yeah. And um, he he doesn't really pay attention to his jobs he's just i need to get this done as quickly as possible yep. so then i'm not scrapped and i can still work on the railway yeah but what perplexes, what perplexes me though a little bit is like how can percy not like hear a bang of the pipes falling on the tracks and then go like oh what's that noise oh cr- oh no it's my oh no it's my pipes they've gone off like like what like why isn't he looking back and just like oh i need to do my job properly like he just and then he just ignores... Well, it's not like he ignores it because he's too focused, like you said, but I don't know. It perplexes me a little bit how he just doesn't... Like, he's kind of oblivious to it. it yeah, he's just... I think he, it, he's just, a, like you said, he's not he's not the brightest um, the brightest one in this episode. So he's, he's just not really paying attention and just decide. He might have even heard something and gone, nah, I'm just going to ignore it. I need to get, I need to, get to my destination. Yeah, that makes sense. That That could be it. But, um, yeah. And Percy's next job is to push a train of tar wagons. And just like before, he is in such a rush to get to get the job done that he doesn't focus on his speed. And he unfortunately crashes into Gordon, who's pulling the express. And I don't know how many times this has happened, but Gordon has been put through the ringer throughout the series with so many crashes. Like, I feel sorry for him. <laughs> yeah, he's he's very unlucky in in that sense. Um, he's very accident prone, which shouldn't really be happening considering he's the express engine. Yeah. But um, to go along with that, it says what the brake fan goes one way, and the train goes the other. But the only way that could happen. Is if the signal man changed the points? Yes. Oh. So we've got a, we've got a, we've got a bit of a, um, a destructive signal man on our hands. We have the culprit. It's the signal man. <laughs> it's definitely the signal man. That that's not Percy's fault. That no. signal man should have been told off. Exactly. Like especially you cause the express to just stop. Like after an engine just been through a wreck. Like yep, yeah, that he should be reprimanded. That is just that's poor management. On definitely. And also, this... need some extra training. <laughs> some more. T- oh, don't. <laughs> that was a good one. That was a good one, though. Like training. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, <help> myself. <laughs> that's all good. Also, what I also just was reminded of that same thing happening in something fishy. I think that's the title's name, where Thomas falls off the pier, where his brake van goes one way. Or actually, his train goes one way, and then Thomas goes off the pier, or something. So I don't know. It's kind of. I wonder if that's like a call. Ba- if that was done as a callback to that episode, I'm not too sure. But we've definitely got some um, segment sabotage in the railway on our hands. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, it's like they, it's like they try to dis- they try to put the engines in accidents just so they can repair it, just so they have a source of income. <laughs> definitely. I'm just trying to figure out, we did talk about Gordon's crash, and also what, also another thing that was interesting is when Gordon's like, what did, look what you've done, and and then, and then Percy's like, and Percy thinks he knows what he meant, like, 
I don't know. Part of, part of it was like, did Gordon hear what the fat controller said to him? Like, surely he could have um, could have helped in that scenario or something, or could have straightened it out with him. If, but then again, it was just the narrator saying something. It wasn't Percy saying anything. Gordon um, up to his old trips, tricks again, scaring the little engines as usual. True, true. So then, yep, so the Fat Controller then comes to inspect the damage, but not before Harvey comes back. Harvey comes to clean... Not before Harvey comes to clear up the mess. Always always good to see Harvey. It is. It's lovely to see Harvey again. His um, rare appearances. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, and also Cranky as well was a good... Was a good um, callback as a, not a good callback, a good appearance as well. So, yeah, we've got we got a few we got a few characters in this one, not just the Steam team. We got some um, extras as well. Yeah, and I think I can assure you that this won't be the last time that recurring characters will appear in season eight. Like that's why I kind of like season eight a little bit. It's sort of littered with all these characters that we know and love, while still focusing on the Steam team. Like uh, that's just yeah, my unpopular it's... opinion a little bit. <laughs> Considering it is a bit of a stock reboot for the franchise, they do bring a lot of the um, other characters in. Yeah, definitely. Ones you don't really don't really see um, too much. Yeah, and then the Fat Controller comes to ask Gordon, ask Gordon where did Percy go, and Gordon doesn't know. So then Thomas tells the Fat Controller what Percy told him that he thought, wouldn't thought that he thought he said. That he was going to get scrapped, and then the fat controller goes, "Okay, I think I might need to. I think I might have to straighten things out with him. I need to explain myself to him." <laughs> and then, and because Percy ran off, no one knows where he is, so they all have to look look for him. And honestly, this is probably where I see probably the most effective use of the camera angles this season. Like, you get some high angle shots. Sorry, not high angles. You get some low angle shots where you see Harvey going over the bridge. And then you see a high angle shot when you're looking down at James as he crosses through Wellsworth, and I love that. I love that um, shot where it shows um, where it goes. Through oh, from the um, the yard perspective, where you're going between the trucks and the coaches. Yeah, yeah, I love that shot. It is. It's it's very nice. It's just um, Soda really likes to um, when an engine goes missing to um, pull everyone off the service trains and uh, go on a wild goose chase. Yeah, it's like, I, I feel like, yeah, I kind of did mention this in an episode before, where it's like, it kind of feels like a heritage line where not many things are at stake if the engines do sort of go off and do their own thing, because if this was set in the classic series, like, this wouldn't fly, honestly, like, the engines would still have to sort of, there's still jobs that need to be done, so it's not like the Fat Controller put out and, like, all points, bullet, all points bulletin say, everyone must look for Percy, drop what you're doing and start looking for him. <laughs> Uh, imagine like you're on, you're on a train, you're on a passenger train. Next thing you know, you hear an announcement that your train's leaving to find a, a locomotive that's gone missing. <laughs> I wouldn't be too pleased. Oh no, I'd be I'd be pretty I'd be pretty mad. Honestly, I'd be pretty disgruntled yeah. if that was, if that was yeah. the case. But yeah, I'd hate to be a passenger on Soto in season eight. <laughs> oh no, it'd be um, it'd definitely be um, a trip um, to remember, <laughs> <laughs> and not a good one. Uh, not at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what what shot I do like is the one after that um that moving shot where we actually see Percy sort of alone in the shed, and then the camera just zooms out and and we just see like him being very small and just very sad and like you really feel for. I feel like 
that sort of brings home the fact that Percy's how scared. It really brings home the fact how scared. Really brings home how scared Percy is, and like how far he's like sort of gone to try and do what he and do what he thinks won't get and do what he thinks won't get him scrapped. But he's just. I don't know. That's that's that shot has a lot of symbolism in it, and I just I just love that. It, it reminds me of those um, um, memes you get where it's like. The old music, like da 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 da, just feels like that when it pulls out, like it's this is the end for Percy. Oh. It really does make you really feel like that. Oh no! I was gonna say, imagine if someone did a cut of that episode where they just um, as the camera zooms out, you hear the dun dun dun. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, oh no! no. <laughs> Poor Percy. Just ends with Percy being sad, and then dun dun dun. Oh, uh, like um, it reminds me of the Boulder episode where they just cut to the happy music just straight away. Oh, that'd be the most jarring <laughs> thing ever. <laughs> it would be definitely. So then, when all the engines go looking for Percy, Thomas then Thomas then has the idea to check back at the engine shed. But one thing I also noticed in this one was that. Um, then when they show the shot of Thomas going up his branch line, they actually show the Fat Controller's head in his cab. Like, they put a smaller figurine in his cab. Like, they don't use the large-scale model. No, we don't get... We don't, we don't see the Fat Controller, or the small-scale one anyway, in any engine's cabs very often. They, but this is where it sort of becomes more of a norm, where he will travel on an engine to get to another engine to tell them off. Definitely, it's like... I mean, it does make it does. I mean, he does make good use I mean, of his resources. I mean, like if he needs to get somewhere, why not just catch the train? Yeah, I mean, if he's got a railway, he might as well use it himself. Exactly, but then that does beg the question: Does he ever use his car or something, or like, does his car just sitting in the garage where he just like just not being used because he has his trains now? Probably a bit of both. I guess it depends on where he's going or what he, what he's doing. Fair enough. <laughs> Oh man, but but yeah, it it does get a bit repetitive at times where they have to show the fact controller always getting being there by train. But then again, there's not really other other ways you could do it. Yep. No, there isn't. But yeah, and then yep. So then Percy then so Thomas then goes back to to the sheds and finds Percy all alone in the sheds. And then the fact and then the fact and then Percy so Percy emerges forward and tells the fact controller what he's been told. He tells him the whole story, what he's been trying to do. He only got part of what he was trying to say to his to Percy's driver, and and basically what the fact controller really said was that because he had so much jobs to do, like working at the docks, working at the quarry, and then taking the mail, like all of that was making him late because of his so many jobs. And so the Fat Controller then decides to give Percy the mail run for a whole week. He gets his um, nice um, reward for his all his hard work, and it ends very nicely considering what Percy thought was going to happen to him. <laughs> so I was like, oh, whew. like I, I feel like Percy would have been. I've, I love how Percy just feels very relieved in this, like. What you thought was going to happen was actually something really good. Like, you get to do your favorite job for a whole week. Like, in Percy's point yeah. of view, you'd sort of feel like, oh, the tables have turned. Yes, they definitely have the table. Those tables have definitely turned. And, yeah, the fa- and, yeah Percy's really happy about it. And I love I love how Thomas and Percy are both, like, whistling together. It kind of shows, like, 
them being best friends again. Like it, I don't know, it's really, it's really sweet that they do that. Yes, he gets his reward. Everyone's happy, and um, the end yeah. essentially. Yeah, that's the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I will say the moral is actually. I think. I think the moral of the story. I think is kind of like it's not. It's not that. It's not as not as basic a little bit as some morals in other episodes. It's like. It's like don't take pieces of limited information as they are, but if you don't know what that means, you sort of like take it with a grain of salt a little bit. So I do think that yeah. I do think the moral is like I feel like it's something we all can relate to, I think. Like no matter what age. So uh yeah, don't take things out of context or always make sure you have all the information before you um decide something. Yeah, definitely. Because obviously Percy Percy didn't obviously didn't hear it correctly and he instantly thought oh i'm going to get scrapped but if he if he was properly listening or just listened for a bit longer he probably yep. would have um, avoided that entire situation yep and also should before we get on to the ratings um did you have anything else you wanted to say about this episode um i do there's one thing i'd like to mention it's a bit a bit of a production goof um basically when there's a shot of Percy um, leaving the sheds, and what they've done is um what they do, as you um can see, they drill holes in the set to um so the smoke can come up, and they've done that to the sheds. But you can just see this hole in the track before Percy goes over it. It's just a massive sinkhole in the track, which uh, I find a bit a, a bit funny. Yeah, I did not notice that like when I when I watched it, but then when I well to watch, but when I watched this episode again, like for for this episode, for this episode of the podcast, I was just looking at it and be like, oh wow, I can't believe I didn't notice that. Yeah, yeah. You, you notice bits and pieces once you start watching them an hour and again. There's I'm a bit interested in the production of the show. You sort you you sort of see these little goofs here and there. <laughs> exactly, it's like. Yeah, it's like one of those things where you see it, you just can't unsee it. Like it's really, it's no. really interesting. Also, there is also another goof that you might have noticed. Um, when when the narrator says that Percy that Percy has a lot has a lot of jobs to do, and you see him puffing through with the mail train, you can actually see that he is using Thomas's tired face mask. He has his tired. Oh face yeah, mask he on. is. He is. <laughs> yeah, it's been used. The so good old swapping face. Oh man. And, the, and yeah, it's done so many times. Like it's interesting to just like see the engines go by and be like, "Aha! That's that's not his face. That's his other engine's face." Yeah, you'd think by now they would have got it a bit down, down now, and they wouldn't confuse the faces. You sort of get it in the earlier seasons because obviously they don't know the characters that well. But yeah. you, you sort of get it throughout the hit era where you see different characters wearing other characters' faces, and it's a little odd. It's funny. But you know, just one of those things with production. Yeah. So let's move. So how about we move on to the ratings then? Yes, we shall. Do you want to give your ratings first, or should I? Well, you first. So for me, I think I'll give this episode a seven out of ten. It's not. Um. It's not. It's not one of the greater greater episodes of series eight, but it does definitely feel like one that's a little bit. In like all the episodes, it does feel like one of the more memorable, but not. It's like a, it's like a bit of a mid sort of episode for me. But yeah, just seeing per, just seeing like Percy just not really being 
that much in character and just I don't know, it does sort of bring down the story for me, but but then compared to all the good stuff, like we like we see, you know, the more complex moral and we see Thomas and Percy's friendship play out, I do think this episode does sort of it does hit it does hit more than it does miss, so yeah, I think a seven out of ten is appropriate for me at least. So So Jay, what about you? Um personally, I'd give it a five point five out of ten. It's 5. not 5. the great wow. Yeah. It's not the greatest episode in the world, I'll be honest. And it messes up messes with Percy's sort of personality previously. Zerms into this sort of kid I kid appeal character is the best I'd say. He's that little kid that gets scared all the time. And it's not it's not really Percy, is it? No, it it's isn't. not like Percy to overhear conversations and then be scared so much, which <laughs> leads to accidents and stuff like that. The I, I'd be honest, the crashes are all right, they're, they're good, but for me personally, it's a very it's a very generic episode because in series eight we get a lot of threats of scrap weirdly in this season, and it just it it's just added to that list and it just isn't really that exciting to me personally yeah i do agree i do agree with you there like like it does it does sort of feel like they're trying to put them in for the sake of it like not that it sort of helps the story a little bit so it kind of feels like a bit i don't know what's the word like it It, sort of feels a bit you know half-assed or something like yeah it's not really it's not really a percy episode personally really i don't know just like i thought it was a Percy episode, like, what would you think it episode? Who, what episode do you think this would have been about? Um, I, I think it would fit someone more like maybe Bill or Ben, or maybe even someone like Fergus, because Fergus is good at being scrapped. That, that would but make a lot Percy, of sense. It, it, but then again, with the new personality and the direction that they were going for the hit ever, it does work for what they were going for. But for me personally, no, it, it doesn't work. I'm not the biggest fan. Of this episode but it does have some merits yeah it does too yeah i don't know maybe i'm just slightly generous because like i grew up with season eight maybe that's just my maybe that's just my nostalgia kicking in maybe maybe not you never know oh, so thank you very much jay so next do you think you can tell us what we'll be discussing next yeah so the next episode we'll be discussing is thomas emily and snowplow and in this clip we're going to show Thomas is happily at work with Annie and Carabelle when he meets Emily. But when she sees Thomas, she gets some ideas of her own. Thomas was enjoying pulling Annie and Clarabelle. He thought he was doing a grand job. But Emily had other ideas. She thought he could be doing an even grander job. So Emily decided to help Thomas by telling him what he was doing wrong. When she saw him puffing down the branch line, she cried out, Slow down, you're going too fast and bumping your passengers. So Isaac, tell us about what happens in Thomas, Emily and the snowplow. Yeah, so it's it's a snowy day on the island of Sodor and Thomas and Emily are doing their jobs. Thomas is doing a good job, but Emily doesn't agree. She doesn't think the same. So she decides to, quote-unquote, help Thomas by telling him what he's doing wrong. 
First, she tells him to slow down when he passes her at the coal tipper and tells him not to talk to children when he takes on more water, as they will make him late. Thomas sees that as Emily is trying... Emily sees that Emily is trying to help, but think, but still, she he thinks that she is being a bit too bossy for him. So she decides to ignore her from this point on. What are your thoughts on this episode? Yeah, I think this episode is um, it's it's interesting. Like, it doesn't really do it. I, I, it's not it's not it's not a bad episode, but it's sort of. One, it's, it's 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 forgettable in terms of like the story, but it's honestly memorable just because it's it's one of the one of the episodes where it's snowing. Like everyone remembers the episodes where it snows on the island because it just looks so good. Yeah, the um the the era sets do lend um, quite quite well to um snowy countryside. Yeah, definitely. It honestly looks really magical. Honestly, like I feel like it can't. It is probably on par with the classic series and those Christmas special episodes. Definitely, yeah. There is quite some good set design in in this episode uh, considering it's not there's not many sets used but they, they've done well with what they what they um had yeah definitely definitely yeah so emily is and also one thing i've noticed about the one thing i have noticed about this episode is emily's somewhat new character revamp like she sort of seems yeah. a bit more of a bossy bossy type of character like yeah, so, yeah, so the previous season we got introduced to her and she was a very nice engine. She was helpful. But then obviously once Hit Entertainment came in and we had season eight, there's been a personality shift for Emily, which I do think works because there was only a season beforehand and she only had a handful of episodes, so you could sort of do what you want with Emily's character. And I quite like the bossy side of Emily. It's nice to have a female character that's not just nice. They're a bit bossy, they've got a bit of attitude. It can be a bit of a pain sometimes. But um <laughs> I do think it does really lend well to her personality. Yeah, definitely yeah, it I definitely agree. Like it does sort of give more flavour to her character, like definitely more of a diverse change than some of the other happy go lucky characters that are just like happy and there's nothing else going on for them, so uh, on the other hand, it does sort of. It's a nice, refreshing change. I do think I do agree, but Thomas doesn't really take it take it that way. Like she doesn't like. He think he just thinks she's too bossy and just chooses not to listen to her ever, ever again. So there. <laughs> yeah, Thomas is very, he's very headstrong in this episode. Reminds me of the um, his personality from the books. He's very, um, he doesn't listen. He's he's a bit cocky. Which um, inevitably, inevitably ends him uh, ends up with him in in trouble at the end of the episode. Yeah, definitely. No, definitely. I do think this is sort of a consistent. Like Thomas's character is very consistent in this in this episode, and yeah, I feel like it is nice. It is good to. See, I feel like I I'm always I always loved seeing Thomas like just standing up for himself or being headstrong, like you said. So I don't know. It's just nice to see Thomas just sort of sort of bantering with the other engines especially when they're directed at him and he's just like you know what he just chooses not to listen to her like i do kind of like that definitely thomas is um, thomas and emily's personality sort of clash here and it works really well you've got sort of emily being this bossy i don't know sort of mother type of character to thomas telling him what to do and thomas is like this sort of is the kid that just doesn't want to listen he doesn't want to listen to her she's just this bossy 
boiler and he just wants to do what he wants to do. Yeah, it is sort of like it that sort of feels like it's a mother and a child where you just have the child that that just like is rebellious and doesn't want to do anything and doesn't like the child's rebellious and then the mother just like telling him what to do and just the child thinking is just very bossy, but yeah, I do sort of see that dynamic as well. So we sort we start off with um, Emily, we sort of get a, a reintrodu- reintroduction to Emily and her character. We're told that she's a bit bossy and um, she starts bossing Thomas around. Thomas is not, Thomas doesn't like it very much. He's like, oh, I don't want to listen to you. You're a bossy boiler. And um, the next day he wakes up early and it's um, starting to snow. And he goes off to do his thing. The fact controller then tells Emily to, um, you need to go find Thomas. He needs to wear his snowplow. And we all know Thomas doesn't like his snowplow. Um... Not one bit. Exactly, exactly. He does not want to do it, especially when it's Emily yeah. telling him to do it. Yeah. But that's not what the fat controller tells him tells Emily specifically though, is it? No, she doesn't let on that the fat controller has told her to tell him he Thomas just assumes that um Emily's telling him to do it. And because Emily's telling him to do it, he's like, No, I don't wanna do it. I keep I keep, I keep going, No, I don't wanna do it. No. And um, it, it sort of ends up in his, his downfall a bit because um, the sky turns grey, it starts snowing, and he ends up stranded at a signal box, and Emily has to save him, which he's a bit... He's not very happy about that. And then they both return home, and the fact controller asks, oh, why didn't you do it? And he's like, oh, I thought... Oh, it came from you. I thought Emily um, was telling me to do it. And the fact controller finally realises what's going on, and he both... They both get the short end of the stick. They both get told off for um, doing wrong. But they, they make up at the end of the episode. Thomas gets his snowplow bit fitted. And um, they, they, um, they make up. And all, all is well on the island of the Sodor at the end. Yeah, definitely. Like, I do, I do like... That episode... This episode is very... Um, yeah, I do, I do like this episode a lot. And one thing I actually do like about it is... Um, one thing I do want to bring up about this episode is that I feel like it definitely also takes advantage of sort of like the music, sort of. I do think Robert Hartshorn's music is very strong in this episode, I feel. Like, what do you think? Yeah, I'm, I like it. I'm not the biggest fan because obviously we had Mike and Junior last season yeah. and now we've gone to this new composer. But most of the themes in this I enjoyed. I would have preferred a more lively livelier music as we've had before but i think it works for this episode yeah i think it does too especially like i do like that little thing when the yeah. like like when the snowflakes start to fall like i do kind of i do kind of like i could like those little sound cues a mm. little bit like i don't the know little ditties the ego is like oh yeah sort of like that yeah i do love those ditties those ones are so those ones are so good i feel like it is on par with the classic series though like somewhat, even though the other themes don't, even though other, yeah. even though Robert Hartshorn's work is a lot different, is drastically different from that of the classic series. But yeah, it's just little gems it like is, that. But he, yeah, he does well with what he has. Moving on a little bit, I want to talk about a bit of the production of this episode. Yeah, go for there's it. There's something that you won't unsee. Okay. Um, at the start of the episode, they use this two-track set, and it's used multiple times throughout it's the same set just redressed and you as soon as you notice it you can't unnotice it 
the hit era does use a lot of the same sets and just puts trees in different places, which I'm not the biggest fan of. It's sort of annoying when you see the same set oh, four, man. five times in an episode. And it's just been changed a little bit. It would have been nice to have some other sets, but I understand with, obviously, they've got a year to do this now rather than two or three they used to have. So it makes sense, yeah. but... Um, it's functional, at least. Yeah. Yeah, but you can te- you can tell what when um, stuff has been reused. Yeah. I'm wondering if there'll be some eagle-eyed people out there that will sort of look at the sets and then can sort of be like, "Wait, no, that set was used. That set looks familiar. That was used in the other episode." Because I do feel like they these um, the new production team. I do feel like they're sort of trying to do as many episodes as they can, and like they try and use the same sets a little bit in the one go. So like in the same day, they'll. They'll shoot one episode, but then they'll use that same set for a scene from another episode, sort of. So just so they can get all the episodes out in time. Like, I'm thinking maybe Definitely. that might be the issue. Yeah, that might be most likely. Yeah. There's also if you if you look at Emily in season seven, she had sort of bronze buffers, and in the hit era, they've gave her more silvery buffers. Just some just just a little neat sort of trivia fact to point out that the her buff is change. And there's other little changes from when they've um, worked on the prop between seasons. Yeah, that too, yeah. I noticed that. Like that was that's a I do like I do like her shine I do like the but yeah the, I do like that change as well. Also the snow Emily Snowplow is a fir- is this is the first time we see Emily Snowplow and I'm not impressed. <laughs> like it, it, it's just essentially a, it it's a so it's a silver snowplow with some green on the side. Yeah, and I'm just like, how so, many of them do they have to make just so they can color it, so they can differentiate between each character? Like, I do feel like it is a little lazy, but then again, it's like it's not like at least they didn't try and copy and paste it like they did with Thomas's snowplow. At least because I think characters like Gordon, I think they have a different one compared to Emily and Thomas. So there is some variety, but there isn't a lot of variety. True. True. Yeah, but I do, but I do, um, but I do like how Thomas's season one character was brought back into this. How he doesn't like his snow and doesn't he doesn't like his yeah. snowplow. Well, one one can sort of think that it's a season one character kicking in, but really it's just Emily telling him not to wear his snowplow, so he has more of a reason to ignore her. <laughs> Thomas just loves ignoring Emily. That's his um, favorite thing to do. Exactly, especially in this episode, he won't listen to anybody. Oh man, and. Yeah, and honestly, I do also think that the snow. Yeah, also, do, and it does result in him getting into some trouble when he gets stuck next to a signal box and just gets snowed under. And this is, I think, I don't know if you noticed this as well, but they actually, I feel like they actually, I think they actually use a mix of physical and C- physical assets and CGI elements because. If you notice, they use like snow to cover up Thomas, but they also use a CGI overlay where it just shows individual snowflakes falling down. Like, I, I, I it works. There's um, a certain shot in there where it's just Thomas passing the camera. And what they've basically done is they've put snow in front of the camera and not on the track. So Thomas is just running on clean tracks, but because of where the snow is, you can't you can't see that, which I think is a clever use of the snow when you haven't got enough to make maybe that that level of snow on the set yeah you can't really tell it's only if you like look at it like very closely but 
at face level, it does look very seamless. It's a very seamless cut. It is. I just love, like, at the end where Emily finds Thomas, and in and Thomas and Thomas is just mad at mad at her. Like after Emily's like, "I told you so," and then Thomas and Thomas just goes, "Well, I'm so, well, you shouldn't have been bossy." And then Emily says the says this line where it's like, "I am sorry, sorry that you didn't listen to me." <laughs> He's a bit of a savage in this episode. Yeah, Emily's got. She, but yeah, she, I feel like Emily's got some attitude there. Like, oh, ouch! <laughs> she is a savage. She, she 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 can fight back when she wants to. Yeah, definitely. It definitely goes to like Thomas and. It definitely feels like Thomas and Emily's personalities are just really. That's their breaking point. Nearly like it's just at their best. Like it's it's so it's so fun. It is. So it, look, it's nice when the characters don't get along because that's what the hitter you sort of used to. It's nice when there's a bit of a different dynamic with certain characters. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I do feel like Thomas and Emily's character character dynamic here is, I'd argue, is probably the best out of season eight. I don't know, like, or maybe just one of the best. Maybe not the best, but yeah. definitely up there. I I feel. Yeah, it is definitely up there. Yeah, and also one thing I do like, also I do like how the fat controller is just like at the end where Tom, where Emily apolo- Emily both Emily and Thomas apologize. Like before that, the fat controller just goes, "Now will I have two engines that don't listen?" Well, I never like he's now longer not just <laughs> mad at Thomas, <laughs> he's also mad at Emily too for not telling him he's, exactly no. what he said. <laughs> no, he, he's he's done. He, he's had enough. It's like, well, I've had enough of you too. So. Yeah, it's it's quite it's a nice episode. It gets rounded up quite nicely, and I think um, it's one of the better of the hit era. I do, th- I do think so. Yeah, it's definitely definitely one of the one of the memorable episodes. I feel, and definitely something that yeah. if if I pop it on, then I'll be like, oh, I'll watch it. Yeah, it's one of those you can just put on in the background if you're doing something or to, to watch, and I think you would have a nice time with it. Oh, 100%. And with that being said, how about we move on to the ratings then? So I think I'll go first, if that's okay. Yeah, go for it. What would you give it? I would give it a 7 out of 10. Ooh, okay. Just the um the usage of, of the the snow effects the um the personality of thomas and emily the how they interact i think it's very well written for this episode it's definitely one of the best written episodes in in the in this season felt like there was a lot of care and attention put into this one and we get a nice little end in it as well where it's not fully resolved. Emily's like, "Oh, I'll still be a bit bossy," but Tom's like, "All right, but I'll, I'll just, I just might not listen to you," <laughs> and it just comes off a bit playful, and I like that. Yeah, I do too. And that that was one of the one of the points I want to talk about and talk about. But yeah, I do like how they joke about it, and it's really fun. Um, it, it is. So I think I might give this episode a. I actually didn't have a score put down for this, so I think I might. Have a think about this, but if I were to give it a score, I think I might give it. Actually, I think I might give it. I think I'll probably give it a seven as well, honestly, because it. Yeah. It honestly, it, it's a really memorable. It's a really great episode. Emily, just seeing Thomas and Emily just going at each other is is really fun, and just seeing all seeing seeing the snow, seeing Sodor's as Sodor as a winter wonderland is always a, always a joy and. 
I do love I do love the character dynamics. It's just really good. So I feel like that alone. I think, yeah, I yep, seven out of ten for me. It's it's definitely one of the more memorable episodes of season A as a whole. It is definitely a memorable episode. And with that, we've come to the end of the episode reviews. And thank you, thanks so much, Jay, for joining us on today's podcast. It was great having you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Also, just for all our listeners out there, um, where can we find your work? So um, you can find me on Twitter at jracer11. Specifically, you give me a moment at j underscore racer11. You can find me on YouTube at um, jracer11. Um, I have my train site. Well, uh, my my train site. I'm a part of um, Harwick Enterprises. You can we have content on there for trains if people are interested in that. And um, finally, I hope you show your friends my Thomas the Tank channel. Yes, yes. <laughs> Gotta get it on there once. Gotta have it once. You have it once. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, you can find him there. And next time in episode 65, Connor and Parry will be back and they will be reviewing Emily's New Route and Don't Tell Thomas. So, Jay, it was great having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. And until next time, I'll see you later. Bye, guys. Bye. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Hi. I'm Mike O'Donnell, one of the composers of the original Thomas the Tank Engine theme, and I'm here to tell you that I have released a selection of re-recorded themes and songs from the classic shows in a series of albums called The Engine Themes. These albums include a variety of classic themes and songs from the original TV series, as well as a few new compositions. You can purchase these albums on CD or digital download, as well as posters and pin badges. Have a look online at modmusic.co.uk. And for a special offer for Right on Track listeners, you can use the special code ROT20 for a 20% discount on all digital downloads. Be sure to enter the code when making your purchase. Thank you for your support and happy listening. Take care and stay safe. A big thank you to Jay Racer and Isaac for doing the reviews of the television series for us. Normal service shall resume in the next episode. And it's quite ironic that we should be hearing from Mike O'Donnell because my good friend Tom Denham has lined up another interview with the musical maestro. Why don't we take a listen to that right now? Mike O'Donnell. Fantastic to have you back at Right on Track Podcast. Thank you very much. It's very nice to be back and uh, glad to talk to you again, Tom. No, it's always great having you. And the last time we caught up, it's probably about mid-2020, early 2020, you were just printing out your Thomas mixes out into the world. You've been quite busy since the last time we spoke. What have you been up to? Dodging COVID for one thing. And of course, we've had this horrible lockdown situation. So it was a good time to to turn the gear on and really um, sort of produce a few more albums, which is what I've done. So um, in 2020, would that have been volume one, the engine themes? So I've done five now and I'm working on um, 
another one, volume six. And yeah, that's what I've been doing. So it's been quite a busy time, but great. I'm enjoying it. It's, it, it's a great thing to keep you occupied uh, during a pandemic. And I think by and large, these albums have taken the whole community and consumers by storm. Is it something you've always wanted to do, Post Thomas? I never even thought about it. Uh, it's just, I noticed that there was a lot of people doing the themes um, and and putting it out on YouTube and things like that. And I thought, well, why don't I do it? Because uh, why not, so to speak? And I didn't think it was going to be as successful as it has. But um, no, it's, it's gone down really well. And uh, I mean, put it this way, it costs money to make these CDs, so I'm definitely covering my costs. Not by a lot, I understand, but uh, enough, you know, enough to make it worthwhile doing. Absolutely. And I think I, I can understand being a creative as well. A part of it is you do it because you enjoy it and you love it. And I think whatever you gain from it, I think you've most likely re- received lots and lots of affirmations from people who listen to these as well. Absolutely. I mean, the idea was that the, the fans never heard the themes on their own, really. It's always covered with narration or sound effects so i thought it'd be nice to give them a clean version so to speak but i i had to re-record them all for contractual reasons so but that was part of the fun really actually doing it all again and making a few little changes adding bits and pieces that should have been there in the first place but weren't no i've really enjoyed doing it it's been great and you've must have revisited countless and countless themes and ditties throughout your whole career on the show are there any particular favorites that you've done in this time or that you've re-listened to not really i mean obviously they changed over the years i mean the you know the early thomas stuff series one was very preschool kids orientated and it got better and better you know the technology took over in in visuals as well i mean david was doing some great scenic shots and things like that in series three and four and because of new technology on the music side we were able to recreate better orchestral sounds than we were at the beginning because as you probably know we only had a little jupiter six at the beginning which was a very synth based synth but then you go on to samples and all the rest of it and it, it was it was a great experience for us i mean it's gone so much further now but um you know at the time it was uh, what they would call a state of the art i think and it's really, really cool hearing these remastered versions of these scenes that many of us have grown up on and they're taking on new life in, in these new reorchestrations. But one of the things I particularly love is how you've mashed things together and you've created new music as well. What brought this about? Well, it's just like, you know, you're listening to it and you think, actually, this piece of music needs a middle eight. And it was never written before because... We didn't have the time. I mean, the whole episode was only five minutes long. So, you know, if you had Step Me's theme or whatever's theme, it was only a 30-second piece that was written for the show. So having the luxury of re-recording them now, you think, well, given the time, and I can use as much time as I like, it would be good to have a middle eight in this. It suits it. So that's why I did it. It was purely an artistic decision. I could just do 30-second snippets of themes, but... You're filling up a CD. I think people deserve a bit more than that. I mean, I haven't done it to all of them, just some of them that actually it seems to work on. And uh, and I'm glad they liked it, the, the fandom, as they say. Yeah, it's one of my favourite little details I find listening through to these. It's kind of, it's like it's like discovering hidden treasure that you haven't heard in forever. And uh, it's 
it, it's, it's quite thrilling hearing those for the first time and hearing what this yeah. was like in a longer version. I mean, obviously, some of these compositions don't really lend themselves to being lengthened or they didn't need any bits added. So I pretty much stuck with the original. But, you know, as I said, you want to try and make them as enjoyable to the listener as you can because there are no visuals now. So it's just down to the music, which is uh, which has been great. You know? No problems there. And through our previous conversations and through listening to some of your music, there's very evident influences that you've had from the Beatles to the good, the bad, the ugly. What are some of your musical influences nowadays? Well, they haven't changed really. I've always been a massive Beatles fan. And uh, I mean, I watched Paul McCartney on Glastonbury and he did like two and a half hours. And although his voice is a bit, a lot weaker now, it's the songs, you know, you can't get away from it. They they did some amazing songs and it was great to see him still up there. I mean, I shouldn't think he's going to carry on much longer, but, but you know, it was it was great. And, and he's got such a great catalogue, so why not? You know, that's what I say. I was listening to a piece of his music the other day and it was filmed not too long ago, but something about that particular song kind of took you back to when they would have originally done it as the, the four of them. When, when you're not listening or not working so intensively on these CDs, uh, what music do you listen to outside, Thomas? You know, it's it's embarrassing to say, but I don't really listen to that much music. I'm in the car and I've got a box of every Beatles album they ever made, plus some uh, some other stuff. But um, So I just keep popping these... Beatles albums in the C- in the CD player and it's great. That's it's great fantastic. to have a car that we can actually play CDs in as well. They're, they're kind of gone out of fashion now. And I think there's something about always going back to a classic. It can never be beaten. Absolutely. I mean, I I love you know Bonnie Raitt. She's done some great albums, and I've got a couple of hers in the car as well. But that that's really about it. The music is such an important part of Thomas's, I guess, ingredients. Yeah. Um, for fans and for people who grew up with it or people who know of it. What do you think makes this such a a key part of the show? I think it was because Junior and I didn't, we tried not to make it too kidsy or simplistic. And in fact, if you really listen to it, there's a lot of detail going on. I mean, it took us a lot of time to do these tracks. And, you know, all the you could have done it just one line and that was it. But I mean, you need to kind of build these things up until they sound what you expect to be good. I think that's the trick of it because you, you watch so much stuff now for kids and it's really, you know, I'm not knocking American composers, but it's very uh, brash and, and fast. Do you know what I mean? Lots of cuts and all that stuff. But, that, you know, they're doing a great job and there's no doubt about that. We were lucky because the films that David were producing and Brits um, you know, we could do uh, nice orchestral stuff to go along with it when required. Nowadays, it's very fast cuts. And uh, I mean, the new Thomas stuff is amazingly fast when you think about it, but I'm sure the kids love it. So it's just a different era now. And I think reflecting on that, I think some of my favourite stuff listening to your music is, I think once you get to the last seasons that Britt and David were doing and you could hear these very deep musical tracks that kind of only have a few elements going on. I think that the, the episode that comes to mind is the um the one where the flood washes out and Toby, the tram engine. So gets Toby and the flood, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we, we were fortunate with that one because you could really go over the top orchestrally and, and it was a bit of drama. You didn't really get drama in 
kids' TV shows. Not not for that length. I mean, somebody hit the buffers or, you know, whatever. But that was a big sequence, that Toby and the Flood. And the Haunted House as well was another one, or the Haunted Station. It just gave us an opportunity to stretch our legs a bit because, you know, the films deserved it, I think. I think David did a brilliant job on those films and it was a good thing to be involved in at the time. Do you find when, when you're uh, working with Junior on a lot of these themes, was there a, a lot of riffing or jamming back and forth or was it very intensely, right, we got X amount of time to do this one, let's push it out as quick as we can? What was the, what was the working relationship like? It was fine. I mean, we uh, it was quite intense. In fact, it was very intense. And we'd get a film, you know, on the Monday morning or something. And because of the schedule, we had to finish it by Wednesday afternoon to stay on track with you, excuse me. Um, there wasn't a lot of time to debate stuff. We studied the film, made notes and said, right, let's go. Well, we got to start with, you know, um, a sad version of Percy's theme or something like that. And we just get on and record it. And that's that's the way it was, you know. And then we, then we, the great thing is we built up a stock of music. So we'd have so many different versions for example, of Percy, which we could reuse if the film demanded it. But but a lot of the time, you know, it, it didn't quite fit, so we had to re-record another one, which is fine. It's not like you have to rewrite it. You know, it was already there. So I think we had to do um, two and a half episodes in a week, which sounds like a lot of time, but it's not really when you when you analyse it all. So, And, of course, as always is the case, you know, you always get these films late because the visuals took top priority. And then, so we our schedule got pushed back and back and back, you know, and in the end you say, well, you've got to give us some time to do these things. But, you know, overall it was pretty good. But, you know, you, you can always use more time. It'd be great to have a week to do one episode, but that's just never going to happen. Do you find now that you, you, you had that quite intense period of time where you had to churn out the amount of music that you mentioned and now you've come to doing these albums, do you have more time to reflect and ruminate on some of those pieces that you did? Absolutely. And, you know, with, with the modern technology now, I mean, I use a program called Cubase, you get the option to go over this stuff again and again and again. And you're thinking, actually, that little clarinet line line shouldn't have done that. It should do something else. So you change it. Whereas when you're up against the clock, you don't have time for that system. So you you just got to get on with it in the old days. But now, yeah, I spend far too much time on these things. I should, you know, and mixing them is a nightmare because you can just keep going over it and over it, tweaking and all the rest of it. It's crazy, really, because there should be other things in life. But, you get caught up with it you know it's good fun that's it that's it and and i think that kind of goes with the creative drive when you find something you can finesse a bit further and you can yeah go deeper yeah no I, I really i mean i do try and limit it but um you know i keep you know you file the gear up in the morning and you listen to what you did yesterday and you think i'm not sure about that bit you know what i mean or that instrument and in the mixes that xylophone's too loud and so you mess around with it and you know, there is a lot to be said for just getting on with it and draw a line under these things. But I like, you know, I'm not doing anything else, so I may as well do that. We could say you were in your stride the whole time that you and Junior were on the show, but was there a particular season that was your favourite to orchestrate for? I think probably three and four maybe. You know, it was, it was better visually and we upped our game as well. So it was, uh, they were good seasons really. Five. It was a bit darker, wasn't it? That was quite, I think, a bit over dramatic. But yeah, 
three and four, I think, were probably my favourites. Yeah, uh, they were good. They were good storylines and good, amazing visuals. And I think everyone pulled it together. Series five, I think it was all starting to go a bit downhill then because I think David was David doing series five. He probably did, but he didn't. Yeah, he didn't six, did he? I think he did up to might have been six or seven that he did up to. Yeah, because seven was our last one, and I, I don't think he did seven. I think it was Stevie Asquith did that, but I, I could be wrong. But it was all starting to change. Hit got it more involved, so it was kind of we felt that it was changing, unfortunately. As you were doing something that was quite, I guess, kind of within its own niche, and obviously there were other many other, not just kids shows, but many other TV shows that had unique soundtracks and composers. As, as you were doing the show, were there any other? programs that you drew an eye to they you heard the the soundtrack to that music and you went oh i like that not really (laughs) (laughs) i didn't at the time the work was so intense you know time-wise we didn't have time to look at other children's programs i just wanted to go home and have a beer you know get on with life because life goes on you still got all your bills to pay and all the rest of it so and there wasn't a lot of time for research. And same thing applies now. I can't think of any children's stuff that uh, really stands out to me now, musically. I mean, all the composers are great. There's no, no doubt about that. But it just doesn't, you know, I'm not a five-year-old anymore, so <laughs> it wouldn't affect me, you know. I, you know. And I think the new Thomas show is, um, for what it is, it's it's really well done. It's not my cup of tea, but... You know, there's lots of kids who love it. So, I mean, they're yeah. keeping the, the Thomas brand going, if you like. I mean, yeah, you had to change eventually. You can't carry on doing the same thing for, you know, I don't know, 20 years. It's It's got to change. That's it. That's it. I, I think the what's so interesting about children's education and programming is that there's so many trends that go in and out so quickly. And I think shows have the hard job to keep up with that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, with all the political correctness going on and has been going on for years, really. I mean, in the old days, David would love smashing trains up and you'd see the accident, but you're not allowed to do that now. You, you know, they're going behind a mountain and a pop of smoke comes up. And that's the accident. <laughs> but, so it's a shame, but, you know, I'm, I'm the old school, really. So I suppose the young kids, you know, don't want to be frightened in that way. I, I think it's very telling in tales that have stood their time. I think it's telling what the what the kids watch and what the parents are, I guess, yeah. watching as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I still get sort of emails and tweets, you know, saying how much they loved it and how much they still like it. I mean, these if they're, not, they're not kids, they're parents now themselves. So they, you know, they like to show them what they were watching. And they st- it stands up. The classic show still stand up, I think. Yeah, it does. Um, it does. It was definitely a cut above its time as yeah. well. Absolutely. But it was very expensive to do. And I know the actual visuals were extremely expensive. I suppose CGI is even more expensive, but it just doesn't have the same feel to it to me. It's, it's not like a train set. It's, mm. you know, cartoons, really. And I think the kids liked the idea of going to an exhibition or a day out with Thomas, and you see these massive steam trains with a face on them, and you're thinking... It's great, this. You know, the kids are going to love this, and they do, which is all part of the fun, I think. Yeah, yeah, it definitely, I think, um, revitalised that, um, I guess, interest in steam trains and railways and model trains, I think, for a generation. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Long may it last. I love steam trains. You don't see them that often anymore. But every time you see them, you know, on, I'm talking about real steam trains. Every time you see them on some documentary or something, they just look fantastic to me. So you're riding on, it's five albums now, correct? Done five and started the sixth. I'm not sure there'll be a seventh, but I've started the sixth anyway. Also, my daughter's got two children of her own and, and her kids love to sing along with the songs like Little Engines and things like that. Her son absolutely adores it. So she persuaded me. She said, why don't you do a vocal album, you singing all the songs and put it together so you don't have to zip around from CD to CD. I said, I'm not sure that's good. My voice isn't great. And uh, I'm not sure if that's going to work. But anyway, I've, I've nearly finished that. And uh, that will be coming out soon just as a digital download. And then I'll probably start volume six in one. For those who are listening who want to find where they can find all your bits and pieces, where can we find your stuff? Uh, on my website, modmusic.co.uk. And uh, I'll take you to my website. And on there, you can have a look what's available. There's little pin badges, all kinds of stuff. And all the albums as well. As I said, the, the vocal one will be coming out in the next couple of weeks, I suppose. Beautiful, beautiful. We'll be sure to share it around with everybody uh, when it comes out. But Mike, always a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Go well and stay safe. Thank you very much, Tom. And same to you. Thank you, Tom Denham, for organising that chat. And thank you, Mike O'Donnell, for making the time to speak to us again here on the Rides on Track podcast. And Mr O'Donnell is not done spoiling us just yet because he's also gifted to us a newly recorded rendition of Toby, which we're going to listen to right now as part of our regular song break. Here we go.
I never tire of hearing that song. That was Toby, originally written by Mike O'Donnell and Junior Campbell. You can find that on Mike's latest CD, which includes covers of all the classic Thomas songs from the original run of the show that we know and love. Now, though, it's time to head into Model Train Corner with Lachlan Kyle. And he has with him a very special guest who has also appeared on this podcast before. In fact, it is none other than Brendan Reese 10 Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of Lachlan's Model Train Corner. Today is another very special episode. We're doing an interview today. We have the awesome, the amazing, the very chaotic Brendan Reese 10. Brendan, how are we? Hey, it's uh, good to be here. Doing pretty good. Um, that's, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I like the, the introduction you gave me, though. <laughs> Thank you, I guess. Um, okay, so Brendan, tell us a little bit <laughs> the, about... The chaotic, the chaotic is what... Yeah, no, like, definitely like, chaotic. Just some of the, just, like, uh, like mostly on your Instagram stories where you do, like, just the zoom-ins on, like, for example, James is on your shelf, you zoom in on his face with a funny filter or something, you do the the weird, uh, voice. Hey, how you doing? Something like that. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love it. That's, that's the chaos. I love that sort of energy that you I, have. I love, I love making stupid videos because I know at least one or two people will laugh at them. So yes. that's, that's my goal. Yes, and they are awesome. I, that, that's the stuff that I love about just, oh, it's awesome. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, who are you? What do you do? Uh, well, yeah, my name is Brendan. You've, uh, as you should, uh, you should, as you know, <laughs> uh, I've been making videos since 2008 and I haven't stopped since then. Um, I think I probably, probably found my footing for YouTube around 2016 or 17. I really knew what I wanted to do. Um, but since then I've been having an amazing time and meeting, I met so many friends through, um, my, through my channel and through my love for the choo-choo train, Thomas. And, um, I couldn't be happier with that aspect because, you know, I, I've come from, um, you know, school when I was in school, I didn't have many friends. Um, just due to the fact that like, you know, people change when you get to like the high school bits of your years. So I decided that I'm just going to go to school to, to just do my grades and go home and talk to my friends about trains with faces. And ever since then, I have never looked back and you know, here I am. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so what was your introduction into, uh, trains, railways, Thomas, anything? How did that begin? That began when I was two or three years old. My mom got me a Thomas Wooden Railway figure eight set. Um, I believe it was the 2000 edition. So yeah, somewhere around there during the golden age of Thomas, right when Magic Railroad was on the horizon. Um, I love that figure eight set. My grandparents and fr my mom's friends would, would buy me Thomas stuff. It was all wooden at first, a bit of Ertl. And then it grew from there and I'd watch like, um, like those weird, like cheap, 
um, home video train videos, like not even just like Thomas, just like train videos about like locomotives and how they work and just about trains in general. Um, oh yeah, we went to like railroads and, and such as well. Um, but yeah. So in particular for model railways, how did that come about? Oh, well, I think I was always interested in model railways. I didn't understand them. Um, I knew I saw them as a kid. I saw Hornby stuff as a kid, like in the shops. And it was like, wow, I would really like to have one of those. That just looks like what I see on screen. Because when I was a kid, Hornby Thomas's, while they looked a little different, it was like seeing like a representation of Thomas or the Thomas characters that were on this realistic of like a level reminded me of the show so much that 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 thought process of like, wow, like this looks this looks accurate was, was there. So that, that was my thought process. And then I would, you know, like I said, it was always there, but I could never have model trains specifically because my mom and my dad would always say, Oh, they're so fragile. They would break the moment you touch them. So I was afraid to always own one. And that was a good way, I guess, to tell me like, you know, to not, to get me like sway me away from model trains until I hit the certain age. But I believe I, when I, when I turned seven or eight, I got my hands on an actual Bachman Thomas, um, circle, you know, set and um that well that sadly only lasted you know a uh, i think a few weeks or a month or something but that was that was my first introduction and then a few years later my parents saw that i matured a little bit and wasn't as rough with my toys and actually decided to care for my trains and i got a model railway and then i got a bachman thomas and percy and then you know it went from there that was around 2007 i think 2000 no around 2006 2007 yeah so it, it it's been it's been like a while coming, but t- model trains have always kind of been there in my life. Right. Okay. Um, what particular things will we see in your, like I, you've got, you've got a big collection now, haven't you? Oh yeah. I'm looking at them right now. Um, recently I've been downsizing slightly. Um, a lot of my models are well, not all my models, but a good chunk of my models are kind of boxed up in, in, in a way, like more of like my realistic models or just all the other projects that I started or just things that I have yet to begin um, have been kind of stored away. But uh, the models that I mostly film with or plan to film with are all up on a shelf on display. Most of my wagons, like at least the British stuff are up there as well. Uh, But yeah, I, I, the collection has grown and I always look back at it and go like, wow, my collection has grown so, so, so big since a certain time point. I wish I got, you know, I wish I had more than what I have currently, but I guess everyone kind of does. But um, I do have like a bunch of other hobbies as well. So like I don't just focus on Thomas all the time, but I feel like if I did focus more on Thomas than those other things, I, I, my collection would be way bigger. But I, I think for what I have currently, it, it is pretty good. I, I like what I have. Okay, that sounds good. Um, what kind yeah, of... I wouldn't mind more, you know? <laughs> I think I think a lot of us... Uh... Would would we'd want more trains, but for some reason I I look at um for example I don't know Sam's trains I look at how many he has like how can you like there's got to, there's got to be a line there's got to be there's got to be a point where you say okay that's enough I I think I'll only buy like one or yeah. two a year or something I think it's because I think it, it is like one of those things where like I said I have multiple hobbies so my my interest especially spread out through about a, a bunch of different things. Where Sam's trains, because he has such a massive collection, he's been collecting them since he was like a like a kid. Yeah, so yeah. He 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 just built a big collection, you know, over time. So, and I feel like that's his main hobby. And if and if model trains were my main hobby, which they kind of are, but if they were like my my pure dead main hobby, I would have like probably triple the amount that I have. Like not even double, like triple. I'd have so many. 
So what kind of stuff uh, have you got in your fleet, I guess? Uh, currently, it's mostly just, it's the, though I have most, if not the entire Bachman Thomas range currently. Um, I don't have like, you know, like the repaints. Oh, actually, I do have the repaints. I, I don't have like the yellow Reneas because I think that's the stupidest thing they could ever make. Like, <laughs> like they, they literally didn't even have to do that. There was no reason for yellow Reneas. How long did it show up uh, for on screen? Like less than 30 seconds? Yeah, it was less than 30 seconds. Like Busy B. James had like, well, I had more screen time, but like the reason Busy B. You, you, the reason Busy B. James sold so well because it was a stupid meme and people <laughs> liked it so much because they made fun of it. They made fun of it. They bought it, and Bachman went, "Hey, we're gonna make more." But thank God they're actually they're actually gonna slow down. I don't think they're gonna be doing repaints at um at, at, like at often like at all. I think it's yeah. gonna be a rarity kind yeah. of thing. But um, back to the Bachman models. I mostly have Bachman models. I have some customs here and there of Thomas characters, and then I have my my you know my realistic fleet for my movie project. Uh, and then I have a couple select things here and there. Like I have like a, uh, um, I have a Hudson from, um, Broadway limited imports or, or, or what they're called. Um, I love that locomotive so much. It's like DCC. It has like, it has all the sounds and, and the whistles and everything. It, it just, it's amazing. Wow. Yeah. I love that thing. Mostly. Yeah. I, I have currently sold off most of my, um, my actual realistic engines that aren't Thomas fied, um, just to help support my, um, just to help support myself in general. Um, but I, I do hope to eventually get back into just buying model trains where they're not Thomas characters, but they're just normal engines because it's just, while I do love having the Thomas engines, it is cool to have stuff that's not the, you know, the trains with faces because it's just something nice to look at. Because I will admit looking at the faces constantly is kind of like, yeah, I don't really want to look at these anymore. Yeah, no, I, I think I'm pretty much the opposite. Um, I only have Yeah, you're very much the opposite. I only have Backman Thomas and that's it. Even even the Hornby Thomas isn't mine. That's someone else's, but I just have that with yeah. me. I know you want to get I know you do want to grow your Thomas army a little bit. I just did it the opposite way. It's just because I always wanted Bachman Thomas stuff. The electric trains I like I've always wanted I've wanted Thomas stuff. So that I I've set out for that collection and that's what I got. I feel like Within the next maybe four or five years, I will probably grow a collection of just normal model trains. It won't be as big as the Thomas stuff, but I will hope to grow a, a bigger collection of just basic, just model, just just engines that aren't Thomas. Yeah. Even if they're based off, even if they're like real life basises, I would just prefer to have some realistic engines. No, I'm pro probably in the same boat as well. I'm, I've looked for a few of the actual bases of the characters because I'm, I want to start uh, doing a railway series. Uh, Fleet, I guess. Yeah, it, 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 just real quickly, it is crazy how much of a kick I've been seeing for, for, you know, the group and a lot of other people just, just start churning out like railway series stuff. Like, you, like Noah just out of nowhere just went, I'm doing railway series. That's right. And he's made so <laughs> yeah. much cool stuff. I, yeah. I think it, it, it was, I did want, I did look at, um, the, the normal Backman stuff and I was like, okay, let's just, I want to make some TV series models. But then I looked at people who made, from scratch, basically from scratch, the railway series stuff. And I thought I could probably have a lot more fun, uh, you know, doing a lot more modification, a lot more paint job, a lot more putting your decals on uh, and, and just doing it in, like, uh, cause no one has the same interpretation of anything in the railway series. You can do whatever you want pretty much. Yeah. That's exactly, I think the reason why people have gotten like a kick for it, especially with people who have been in it for like ever is that, 
if you want, you can just do your own head cannon. Even if you're just modeling off of the actual railway series cannon, they can be your own interpretations of that cannon. And that's like that that's the best part about it is because there's so many different variations you can you can make. Even if it looks similar to someone else's, it's still your own model. Like it could be the same body shell, but it's still your own version because it's not gonna look it's not like while the body might be the same, the paint job and all the details, they're gonna be different. And and even then with uh Thomas, for example, you've got uh, people have used a long shell, a short shell, an E2 shell. Uh, there's so many things you can do, even with the individual models themselves. Even with uh, Percy, that there've been multiple interpretations because he because there are so many. That's that's the other thing as well. There are so many different illustrations of each character that you could do. That's the best part about it. even people who model like even if it's not TV series and you're just modeling Thomas in general. Like, you can just make your own interpretation of Thomas. It doesn't even have to be Railway Series or TV. It's just Thomas. And, like, that's the that's the cool part about it is that you could just model whatever the hell you want. Like, people have taken, like, Jinty's or um, J70's and just made them into Thomas. And, like, and it works. One that I would really like to see is, you know, Bluebell's basis. I'd love to see a Bluebell basis of Thomas. That would be cool. Yeah. Yeah, he'd be, he'd be, he's, he's, he's short, small. But he has like a weird freelance like cartoon design to him, and it looks so. I love Bluebell's like design so much. Bluebell's basis is just so interesting. I love that basis. Bluebell, as in the Bluebell, the the engine. Oh, like right, the like the P class. Yeah, the P. No, oh, that's what they're. Yeah, P class. That's what they are. Yeah, that would work. That would work really well because he's nice and small as well. Just extend the tanks, yeah. and there you go. You got you got something that yeah, looks like you, an approximation of Thomas. Yeah, you could even give it like extended side tanks. Like it just like it's just its own thing. It's just it's, you could make Thomas out of almost any like zero six zero. Now, now that I think of it, um, I'll, I'll, I'll show you this. A friend has given me his J fifty for me to paint up for him. Oh God, I love the J fifty. Yeah. Such an interesting little, there you go. little that, thing. And that's it. That's his own head cannon that you know Thomas did well the i the, the thought is that thomas was supposed to be a j50 but audrey or whoever created that little toy out of the broomstick never actually said it's supposed to be a j50 but um yeah that's that's his head cannon any you're right any 060 can work as thomas and that and that's the really cool thing about it as well is that so many people have just looked at a locomotive it probably doesn't even really look like thomas and be like boom that's thomas now i've painted in blue given him the lining there you go. Yeah, it just it works like, and like that's the thing that I, that a lot of people, and and recently I've been seeing a lot of people get a kick out of just making fun of the Strasburg Thomas, and it's just like, I know it looks weird. Even I've had that opinion for so long, but once you see that engine in person, it changes your opinion entirely because it's just it's there. You're seeing a live steam Thomas, especially in America where we have just a bunch of dummy units. Yeah. And it's just you see this live steam engine, you forget that it's that it's like an engine with pistons, you know, and he's a little long. He's a little weird looking. He's a little wonky. But like at the end of the day, you get so used to it. and You're like, well, I love this thing. Like, it's just you you fall in love with it and it's just and i can't get enough of that mo- that that engine it's just the same people who who like the um i forget what railway it's from but it's the first day out with thomas that they did it's the one that audrey officially like signed and everything yeah i think yeah i know which one you're talking about uh great it's not the great central railway but i i, I know which one you're talking about mm-hmm. and he has the railway series face yeah 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 that thomas is just like that i don't think it looks great 
But when, but I bet if I were to see it in person or grew up with that Thomas, I would have a totally different opinion. It's the same opinion like with everybody else. Like, like people can hate the Strasburg Thomas and people can hate that Thomas all they want. But I feel like once you see it in person, it just changes your opinion. It might, yeah. it, it might only change it even slightly. You might just be like, yeah, it, it's it's better than I thought. But it, it'll it changes. Like being there in person is way different than just seeing it over your phone screen. Yeah, yeah. I I've ha- I've had this conversation with people a lot as well. Like there's there's something about the, the the steam engine itself that you know kind of does that to you where it's it's it, it it gives you this feeling uh that you know you can't really get over like you said this phone screen like i i i've never seen the actual strasburg thomas myself i haven't even actually seen uh Where's the nearest local railway to me uh they have a really weird looking thomas at puffing billy do you know about that I've one i've seen the puffing billy one that one is really strange but i feel like that would people would the people that grew up with it would be like yeah it's weird but i like it you know yeah yeah uh the, the funny thing about that it's actually just a fiberglass shell put over another locomotive as well yeah it's crazy i don't know how the the thomas at strasburg is done it might be similar or, or i think they completely like rebuilt it i remember seeing somewhere in a video or something that it started off life as a completely different locomotive and then they just took it apart and rebuilt it into that or something they they i remember yeah, seeing because it, it was like it was a porter class that um yeah they, exactly that strasburg turned it into and a lot of people were mad about it and people even nowadays are still like salty about it and i've seen some thomas fans salty about it and it's just like i i swear when i read it up it's just like that that engine was on like on its last leg but i know it was like still a functioning engine but i could be completely wrong what i'm saying like um don't quote me here what I'm saying. I'm just kind of saying what's off the top of my head. I have to read into it more. But, I mean, at the end of the day, the engine is... Thomas brings people into the hobby, and it brings people into the world of trains and, and at a young age. And then Thomas is the reason why railroads are still alive to this day. And a lot of people seem to forget that, especially, like, the old farts who don't... Who just... The normies who don't really care. And like, the normies, not even the old farts, just normies just in general. I, I hate saying normies, but, like, that, that is the honest-to-God truth. Yeah. It's just they, they don't see it the way we do. And I think that's the beauty of it. It's just like, I don't know. It's just different different views, different opinions. I, I absolutely agree. A lot of people take for granted that I th- more or less, um, the, even the, the going right back to the railway series, that had a big influence on railway preservation. For example, the Taylor Clinn, you know, Audrey wrote stories based on events that he experienced there. And then, you know, they run day out with Thomas Days specifically for those characters from the railway series because it all started there. Yeah, and they have like the license and like they have like a contract like with with Audrey. So like if the show or um Mattel wanted to do anything about it, they can't because Audrey signed it. So it's just like they're like, oh well but I just I I love that. I, I can't wait to visit um to to go during a um a, a Scarlowy days or whatever they do at some yeah. point. I, I've definitely got to look at going to one of those myself sometime, even if it's not like an Audrey extravaganza. Just like the just just to go there and be, you know, where he was and experience those things that he experienced. Yeah, I hope to go this summer for the Audrey extravaganza. If I can't go this year, then I will 100% go next year. But I'm tired of pushing it off because I've been wanting to go for like five six years just to see my friends and everything, and then just visit the country in general and. Um, I know the, the, you know, the pandemic has really set like it, its foot down, but recently with like a lot of stuff being lifted, um, I'm feeling more optimistic about it, but, uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll keep my fingers crossed. Yeah. 
yeah. Yeah, so you make up sets and layouts and sort of f- film sets. I don't know where I'm going with that. Film yeah, sets and yeah, things. Just sets, yeah, just sets yeah, for filming, yeah. For your, for your videos, which look, look a lot of them look do look amazing. So uh, how, how do you go about that? How do you go about making film sets? How do you go about making film sets and filming? When it goes around building a, a film set, what I used to do is I, I had like this long foam strip. It's, I think it was like, a, it's around, I think... It's around, it's anywhere, I think it's between like seven and nine feet long. Um, like two inch thick, like two, three inch, no, it's three inches thick foam strip. And I build sets on that. Um, it's not wide enough, I, I'll, I'll say. Um, nowadays, I'm actually building my sets on like on a foldable table. And um, the foam is a way, way wider now. So I have a lot more room to work with. But um, yeah, I build it on a foam set. And um, I build whatever I'm supposed to. And the thing I have a problem with, I I figured out, especially recently, is I would just kind of build a set for what the script says. Like, if it's just a yard, I would just build a yard. I I wouldn't really use any references because um, I didn't have a lot of buildings. And now I have a lot more buildings and scenery and stuff. It's just I haven't been able to... Well, I have been. I haven't been able to put anything out on YouTube recently that would show that off. But I'd go around just kind of doing whatever the script kind of says and then just build the set based off that. So if like if it's just Thomas chugging along or something, um, it doesn't even say countryside. I'll just see him chugging along. I'll probably build like a countryside set with maybe some buildings here and there. Um, but it really does depend on what the script says. But more recently, I've been kind of pri- trying to push myself where it's, if it's a book adaption, especially with um, I have a video coming out in June that's been delayed for um, quite some time, but I'm hoping to get it out. Um, that I based um, the sets off the illustrations and, and tried to base off any sets that weren't seen in the book um, close to the illustrations. And that'll kind of give off like a very, I wanted to give off like an Owen Bell kind of style. And I, I love Owen Bell's artwork. So that's what I want to go for. Yeah. But I think going into my current stuff, I'm going to aim to to kind of model what's seen in the model series and in the show and maybe even do like railway series with the TV series stuff because the railway series stuff just looks pretty and it would be nice to just make that in general. Yeah. But yeah, going around sets is really weird because it it, it just it's an up and up and downhill battle with with me and just figuring out whether what I want to do. But like if it's a remake, I try to make the sets kind of similar to what's seen on screen, but if it's just like I said like an own custom story, it's just kind of me just making something that just comes to my mind. And I don't really think twice about how important it is to keep like the consistency um, for like an actual location. So that, that that's kind of important. I mean, it is kind of fun to just build whatever you want, but if you want to have consistency, it's probably better to keep that mindset. When, when you build your sets, are your sets like, do you, do you, do you, do you make them permanent? Like, do you fix, do you glue and fix trees or are they like... Everything's free to move around. Um, the ballast is, is the hardest thing to work with. Uh, it, it's just because like it's ballast is all loose. So it, it's nothing is ever glued down. If anything is ever glued down, it's specifically because it kept falling over and making me really mad. So I, um, I would, I would just do that instead. Um, I know for most of the sets they are mostly made to be seen what's on camera and if i were to move the camera too far away from a certain angle that i had originally had set the sets you would lose like that whole you know like vision and you would lose like that that um what the picture is supposed to be i can't figure out the actual word but yeah they're all made from a certain angle like like trees have little pins in them so they can they can just stick right into the grass grass mat into the foam uh same with fences 
um, buildings and stuff. Um, sometimes I have them like I have nails holding them down on the sides just to keep them from wiggling in case if I accidentally bump the table. But most of the time, everything is just kind of like the track is pinned down. Um, yeah, basically everything's pinned down in general. It's all able to be removed uh, with ease. Okay, so. yeah. How do you go about cleaning up the ballast afterwards? Like, it's a pain, but it's kind of satisfying because I use a uh, a vacuum cleaner that uh, it's a big vacuum cleaner. It has like a a little um, where everything's all collected in this like plastic tube, and uh, I got to make sure that that thing is dust free because um, if I if I'm vacuuming up like the ballast constantly, the ballast will get dirty, and then that'll be dirty for the tracks, and that's just way too much cleaning for the engines and stuff because you know the tr- engines the the wheels they pick up the dirt, so I got to make sure that that's clean. So that's the hardest part that I don't like about doing um, sets. But when I, I just vacuum them up and then I throw them in a bowl and then I just put it back in the container wherever the ballast came from just to reuse. It it's a process. Um, sets take a while to make. To they they're a lot quicker to take down than they are to build. But um, it's still a, a, a process that um, I don't recommend to everybody. You know. So do you have any techniques that you can tell us about in terms of scenery or? in your case filmography um yeah i guess it does um one that comes to mind is that i put the most detailed stuff closer to the camera and closer to where the camera is going to be viewing it and the less detailed stuff goes further away and i think that one um saves time and money um because you don't have to buy everything realistically i mean you could you honestly could but you'd just be spending a lot of money doing it to so to save money you put the most realistic stuff as close to the camera as possible and about up to about the medium ground and then that's when you transition into like less detailed and more less detailed um especially like with a tree if you want like a tree to be really close to the camera say like you have it like on like the side of the screen or something like that on your camera um i would uh recommend using like a piece of like uh, like a twig or something because then you can see like it has like bark detail on it so like you can use that for the foreground and whatever is further away in the background you just use you know the model trees and the just like the crappy stuff that you buy the like the hobby store and stuff in a way yeah it's kind of like a forced perspective exactly it's yeah like, it's yeah false and uh and forced perspective is kind of the, the it's like it's like two different things mm. I, I remember sort of sort of going on in that vein i remember seeing a layout at a model train show what they did in the foreground was everything was ho or double o i mm-hmm. can't remember uh and that that's where the eyes were but they had like a mountain background the further back you looked and instead of using like double o or ho buildings all the way in the back they were n scale or something smaller than that. So it looks like you're looking... It looks like there's distance. It looks like there's actual mm-hmm. three-dimensional. Exactly. It is, it is so helpful, especially for even, like, massive layouts, like, you know, like the Northlands layout or, like, Miniature Wonderland. The the layout in Germany, it's so massive that, like, it... I don't know if they have to do forced perspective, but I feel like they do anyway because it's just, like... Force perspective helps portray and make the land look so much bigger than it actually is. And I recommend that people that, and I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of people do know this, but I recommend it anyway for people who do sets and videos with sets in general that they should try force perspective. I haven't done it much, but when I have done it, it does look really good. And, and it's like, it's kind of a game changer because it's just like you can do so much with the smaller scenery in the background. You can make your sets look massive. Right, yeah, Def- definitely something I I do. W- I I haven't built myself a layout at all yet, but it's definitely something that I do want to look at having a go at 
just to, you oh, know. God, I would love to have a layout. <laughs> <laughs> Space is a thing, isn't it? It's a, it's, it's, it's yeah. a luxury. If, if I, honest to God, if I didn't make videos, at least videos to the, to the, to the amount that I do, I would 100% have a layout uh, of some kind. But because of the, like they said, the videos I do, it's just like, I don't know. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta pick and I gotta pick my poison. So, yeah. and I pick doing sets and I don't really regret it much because we have events like, you know, like the, the Thomas and his fans events. And then we have like the train shows where you can bring your models or, or I can have my models displayed and running on those layouts. Mm. So my models at some points can get run-ins. I do have like, you know, like, like Bachman easy track and I can set them up on the floor, you know, and run my models. I know people hate that running models on the floor, but I always make sure my floors are clean and everything. And yeah. I always check over my engines, you know, always, but you know, dirt, dirt and grime's always going to get in there. But, uh, I, I always try my best to take care of my engines. Um, no matter even what you see, like through like busted buffers or, you know, like my silly videos of me throwing around a model, it's never like the actual models I probably film with. It's always just like some gumpy, uh, gummed up like Thomas model that I've had around <laughs> for ages. Yeah. I love my models. I really do. Even when they're a pain in the butt and don't want to work when I'm filming, I, I do still love them. Um, Speaking of models, do, do you have a favorite one or is there one that, I don't know, that's been announced recently that you're excited for or anything like that? Uh, Okay, so one that I have that I really like? Oh, no, that's not a good question because there's a lot. Um, that's that's how we do it here on the podcast. We ask the I guess tough that's questions. How we do it. That's how we do it because, <laughs> like, I've recently grown to really love my. I haven't revealed him yet, but I've been working on my Neville, Ooh. my double O scale Neville. Um, I'm giving it the uh, the treatment of of you know getting rid of most of the detail and making it as TV series accurate as possible. Right. Very similar to what Green's you know Green has done with his yes, with his stuff with Murdoch and Arthur. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. It, it and he's looking really good. I can show you really quickly. I know the can I know the people on the call aren't going to be able to see this on, on the podcast, but but you, got, you uh, heard it with my crazy camera. People. We got Neville right here. Wow, he looks so good. Oh, you've even gotten rid of the. Oh no, the washout plugs is still there. Does he have the washout plugs in the TV series? Those those things that uh, like on the, the side of the, the, the yeah right here. Yeah, I yeah, pretty he sure has he does. those in the TV series. Um, what's really cool about it is that they used um, they used the top heads of uh of hex screws for his uh, front buffer beam and the, uh, the, like you said, the, the little vents on the side of the, uh, firebox. Those are literally just the tops of small hex screws. Oh, wow. I didn't even know that. That's really, that's, that's really yeah, cool. Yeah. Those, those reference photos really come in handy. And I, when I zoomed in, I was like, those aren't perfect circles and I, they, they're hex screws. So it's pretty cool. Right. Okay. Um, Anyway, like, like you were saying, favorite, favorite model. model. <laughs> um, like I said, Neville's becoming a, a really quick favorite of mine. Um, uh, honestly, oh, there's so many to choose. Oh, my it's like gosh. choosing your favorite uh, child as well, isn't it? It's because, like, because I, I love all of them. I mean, well, not all of them. I, I do love. I do have prefer. I do have favorites. Um, honestly, I might have to go with my movie Thomas, which I haven't properly revealed. People at, at train shows and people at events have seen it, but I haven't properly posted him, but he is definitely becoming one of my favorites. And and I love him. I love him a lot. It's just because it's like my own Thomas and I can't wait to for people to properly see it once it's officially revealed um, later on during um, the events and whatnot. Um, but for upcoming model that has been announced... Oh gosh, I'm I'm very excited for the new releases that Bachman's coming out with, like you know Daisy and Peter Sam. I'm very excited for those. 
but I'm really excited for, for Ryan. Ryan, I'm very excited for. And because of his price point, and he's actually more expensive than Daisy, that kind of proves the point that hopefully that he will have his, his pipes, you know, and his extra details will probably be 3D. And I'm very excited for that. And I hope they go that route and they're not molded. Because if they're molded, I'm going to have a big problem with that model and I'm probably not going to buy it. <laughs> yeah. But um, I'm, very, I'm very optimistic. Yeah, no. Uh, we haven't seen any samples of it yet, which is, which is surprising. Mm-hmm. They just random, I... they randomly dropped Daisy. They randomly dropped Peter Salmon to handle. But we haven't... But Ryan's been announced, what, two years now? No, no. He's been announced for... I. I think this summer will be two years. If not two years, it'll be a year. Yeah. Uh, we still haven't um, seen any samples. If not, of it, it will be two years. I think we'll be seeing samples of him very soon. I know that the the all model train companies, um, just companies in general, are having problems with like you know like the shipping delays and stuff overseas. So that that's understandable. Uh, I really hope to do to see him very soon though, because I'm very excited to see what they have in store for him. Thank you everyone for listening to this episode of Model Train Corner, but don't go anywhere because this is only one of two parts, so stay tuned for next week where we continue the shenanigans with Brendan. Thanks for listening. That was part one of Lachlan Kyle's chat with Brendan Reese 10 Keep an eye out for our next episode when you will hear the second part of that conversation. I, for one, am certainly looking forward to it. We hope you are as well. We also want to thank Mike O'Donnell for once again sponsoring this chapter of the podcast and for having a chat to us about his new album and other stuff besides. And we must thank as well Isaac and Jay Racer, who so kindly filled in to do our regular television series of reviews for us. They covered the TV stories Percy's Big Mistake and Thomas, Emily and the Snowplow. I'm still Parry. Please be sure to join us all again for episode 65 of Right on Track. You've been listening to Right on Track. This podcast was hosted by Connor Jonas, Tom Parry, Lachlan Kyle, and Tom Denham. The audio producers for this podcast were Jason Evans, Harry Hughes, Ashley DeGroot, and Frederick French Prouts. The supervising producers are Connor Jonas and Tom Parry. The executive producer is Tom Denham. Visit rideontrackpodcast.org for more information plus bonus material. And be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash right on track Thomas podcast on Twitter at on track Thomas and Instagram at right on track podcast.